0: So our Bible study, uh, as you know, is uh, we go through each of the books of the Bible, and uh, today we are in the book of 1 Kings. This is an intense uh, uh, study, um, just much like the books of 1 and 2 Samuel. In the original Hebrew Bible, the books of 1 and 2 Samuel were one book and then whenever it was translated into Greek, they separated it into these two separate things. And the books of 1 and 2 Samuel make sense the way they're separated, because 2 Samuel is all about David, all about King David. So the same thing is true with the book of 1 and 2 Kings and 1 and 2 Chronicles, which we'll talk about in a couple weeks. They were one book in the Hebrew Bible, now the reasons that these were split into two, this is just a little history lesson. Uh, the reasons they were split into are a little bit um, more confusing. So first and second Samuel makes a little bit of sense. We're like, okay, one of second Samuel is all about King David, awesome. Well, first and second Kings, they don't. There's not really a good, a good like meeting point where it separates. Uh, and so there's some scholars believe, and I don't know, I'm I'm kind of uh, up in the air on on why it was separated this way. But some scholars believe that they are, um, they were literally just the 1st and 2nd Kings were cut in half because of the length of the scrolls. That's what they say. Because the, the Greek words, um, it took, takes up about 30% more space than Hebrew words. And so when they started listing it out in Greek, literally the length of the scroll was so long that they just said, we need to cut this in half and then separate it into two. Because the way it's even broken up is a little bit uh, confusing. But here's what I've learned about this section of the Old Testament. What we're going to do over the next couple of weeks specifically is next week we're going to have a big chart up here. I've been working on this big chart for us to be able to see and study and visualize how this is all broken up. Because at this point in 1 Kings, the nation of Israel gets divided into two separate nations, the northern kingdom Israel and the southern kingdom Judah. And so a lot of times we'll read through this And we go from one king to another, to another, to another. And really, some of them are serving at the same time, right? It's just the kings of of Israel or the kings of Judah. So it gets really difficult for me. I don't know about anybody else. Maybe all of you are like, oh, no, this is super simple. This is elementary. For me, it's hard for me to understand what's going on and how it's going on. There's also another layer of this that we're not going to get into today. But as we go through this study, we're probably going to jump into and that's the things that are going on in the rest of the world outside of just these two nations that have been, that have been divided into two. So uh, there's other, other things happening among God's people, around God's people. One of the things to know when you're experiencing what the Bible says, if you can know the circumstance that they're in, it helps you to understand things better, right? It helps to illuminate what the people of God are actually going through, seeing they're facing this enemy or this battle or this worship is going on over here in this uh, different nation that's, that's not of God. And uh, they should have been wiped out because that's where God told them back in, when they went to Canaan, wipe them out. And they didn't. And now this is an issue they're dealing with. So as we look at 1 Kings today, uh, this book is, uh, uh, it begins, I love the way it begins. I don't necessarily love the way it wraps up because it begins with this strength of God and this power and of God's men leading. Now, again, as, as we talked about, there's a little bit of layering, okay? So this book opens up with King David. Now, you may say, well, I thought the last book ended with King David, and it didn't that kind of wrap up. Again, there's some overlap. So as we look at this over the next couple of weeks, again, this chart I'm making, I'm, I'm trying to make it as accurate and as understandable as possible. So I, I look like My wife told me I look like a mad scientist in the house the other day as I was like drawing these things out. I had these big sticker things on the wall and she's like, don't mess up my wall. And I'm like, listen, this is beautiful. I've got this figured out. And she's like, please don't. And so um, I'm working on this, this whole thing so that we can see it visually. Um, and so, as we do that, uh, there's, there's a little bit of overlap, and so I want to kind of, I'm going to explain some of that today, and then next week, we're going to look at it together uh, in person uh, right here. So, um, the way that First Kings starts, though, it starts with the strength of God's great men leading. It does not take long, though, as we see among God's people. For disobedience to slide in and when disobedience slide in there are moments of of issues and problems and then after disobedience shows up uh, it just begins to run rampant through first kings like it's just it's an issue it's a problem um, last week as we were closing up uh, second samuel um, our wonderful miss Jeannie morris told me she said i can't wait to hear what you do with one of the chapters in this book and uh, so I, I talked about it on my podcast this morning. Um, I I'm really going to skip it today. That's what I'm going to do just for Miss Jeannie's sake. Uh, I don't want don't to dive into it. But um, there's, there's and, and here's the thing I've learned about this book. There's some weird things in First Kings. There's just some weird, like, why is this, I, in my question, I'm like, why is this in the Bible? Like, this doesn't, this doesn't make any sense. What am I, and, and so it's in there for a reason, So what am I supposed to glean and understand from it? So as we walk through this, um, there are moments whenever this kingdom gets divided where uh, there's in Judah, in the southern kingdom, there's some good kings in Judah. Now, there's also a lot of bad kings, mostly bad kings In, in Israel, the northern kingdom. It's all bad kings. Like, there's, there's nobody that is good. There is no uh, redeemable qualities in the kings of Israel. So this, uh, the way this kind of overlaps, um, we see in the book of 1 Kings, it starts. Here, here's the other, you know, each week I like to do this kind of big survey where we see how it starts and how it ends, right? This book starts with King David, a man after God's own heart. It ends with Ahab, probably the worst, most vile, horrendous king ever known to Israel. So, again, this contrast. We see a man after God's, God's own heart leading, and then it wraps up with this just evil, like evil, evil. So this this book spans a long long, yard, long uh, period of time, a long span of time. Um, and so there's a lot to learn within this book, so let's go ahead and jump in. The first 12 chapters, um, I'm going to title them The Years of Strength, is what I'm going to title them, because the first 12 chapters... Are um, David and Solomon. So the the nation of God, the nation of Israel, is one nation at this point. So the first 12 chapters, it's one people, one nation. One nation under the lineage of David. So you've got David who is leading, and he's just in the first couple chapters, okay? In the first few chapters, we see David um, kind of at the end of his life giving his final statements to Solomon, his son, who will take the throne. Now, even in this, among uh, this David explaining to Solomon, you need to clean up the kingdom, you need to fix this, you need to fix this, you need to take care of this, right? It's kind of the last words. It's like if you are on your deathbed and you're telling your sons, uh, hey, take care of your mama, take care of uh, this, be sure you don't let this fall apart, make sure this is okay, this is okay. That's what David is doing in these first couple of chapters. And as he explains that stuff to Solomon, Solomon is listening, well, there's a problem, there's an issue in the house of David. Now, as we talked about last week, David had some issues in his house, right? He had one son murder another. He had a son who uh, raped a daughter. He had all of these problems that were creeping in. One son trying to revolt against him, take over, and then God got that taken care of, and he dies, and there's all kinds of problems in David's house. And so we pick up the story, and there's still some problems in David's house. There's an older brother of Solomon, another one of David's kids, an older brother who uh, was assuming the throne. So he goes and assumes the throne and tries to make things happen. Well, the throne belonged to Solomon. So there were some things that needed to to be taken care of through that. Um, So the first part of the book begins with just talking about David and him his life being over, and now he's trying to give his final words. He's trying to say, listen, son, whatever you do, learn, be with close to the Lord, please. I've gone through my life, and I've seen what it's like to be close to him. I've seen what it's like to be far away from him. Go be close to the Lord. So then uh, this, uh, uh, this other guy sets up as king, and So uh, Solomon now has to be anointed king, so he is, he's anointed king in these first couple of chapters, and then we see what happens when Solomon first takes over in chapter 2, beginning at verse 12. So verse 11 of chapter 2 states, it says, uh, David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, and at that time David reigned over Israel 40 years, and he reigned seven years in Hebron, and 33 years in Jerusalem. That's how it ended. Verse number 11. Then verse 12 says, So Solomon sat on the throne of David, his father, and his kingdom was firmly established. Well, how was his kingdom firmly established? When Solomon first took over, if you read the next few chapters, when Solomon first takes over, he kills a bunch of people. Like, he's just like, okay, dad said this guy was a problem, dead. Okay, this guy's a problem, dead. Like, okay, this guy, he's, he's an issue, dead. Like, Solomon, he's not messing around. What we learn about Solomon is he was a young man, a very young man. And people tend to look down on somebody that's young, right? Even, I mean, the Bible gives us instruction over and over again. When Paul writes to Timothy, don't let anybody look down on you just because you're young. If God's called you, God called you. It wasn't, listen, my calling from the Lord is, is a calling from the Lord. I, I'm not called by my dad to be the pastor here. I was never called by my dad to serve the Lord in the capacity that I am. Now, my dad encouraged me, but my dad did not call me. My mom did not call me. My brother did not call me. This, the, 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 listen, as crazy as it sounds, the search team at this church didn't call me to be the pastor here. Okay, the search team approved and, uh, and affirmed that God was doing this, right? The scripture tells me over and over again, and I still, my, I still see myself as a young man. I, I got the other day, I realized for a moment I wasn't, because I said something to this guy. He was, like, it was in his early 30s, and I said, well, you know our generation? He said, our generation? I was like, yeah, our generation, man. He's like, I'm 31. I said, me too, sort of, plus nine years. I was like, okay, never mind. I realize that I'm not as young as I used to be. I still feel like I'm a young man. But as I look through uh, the scripture, there's over and over again, it tells us, don't let anybody look down on you just because you're young. And Solomon was young when he took over. He was a young man. But we see how God spoke to young Solomon. And so now he takes over. And a lot of times I think about Solomon kind of like I think about my own life and my own self. Because David was this great king, great king. Everybody respected him, mighty warrior, great shepherd, like awesome, right? Well, then you've got his son. I don't know if, if anybody in here is a, a preacher's kid or not, but um, I, I've, I've been a preacher's kid my whole life. And I'll tell you one thing, it's hard to be a preacher's kid. It's hard because everybody says, oh, that's." It. last week I went and met some people at a high school I met the director of schools of, of Lenore City. She's this wonderful lady. I met her, and immediately she says, Are you Mark's son? And I thought, I am still in that man's shadow. <laughs> like I cannot I it's like, well, yes, but I am I am really Mark was my dad. Like that's how you know, like he he's he belonged to me. I didn't belong to him, you know, <laughs> trying to figure it out. Solomon was this young guy, and it's hard to take that guy seriously. It is. It's hard to take the person, the son, seriously, because you've always looked at him like the son. You've not looked at him like the leader. So when Solomon, I love how the scripture says his, his kingdom was firmly established. The reason it was firmly established is he came in and just said, if you're a problem, you're dead. And then everybody's like, oh, this guy's serious. <laughs> okay, we're going to trust he's in charge. He's not just the kid of the last king. He's the king. He's the one that, that God has called to this place. And he's bold enough to say, God's called me here. So I'm going to do what God tells me to do. Now, when I say he killed people, he actually just had this hit man named Beniah, And uh, Beniah is a, um, he, was, he was the Charles, right? So like my Charles Van Valkenburg is my, is my Beniah. So anybody crosses me, I just stick Charles on him, right? <laughs> he walks over and is just like, all right. We're dealing with this. Pops his knuckles, and it's over, right? That's that's uh, uh, Solomon's hitman was Beniah, and he he would basically send. I love how it talks about Beniah in here. (laughs) He's like, Beniah goes in, and the uh, then he kills him, and he's gone. And then next, the next time you hear Beniah's name, it's like, all right, who's next? (laughs) He's got a list, right? And Beniah was the one. So Solomon firmly establishes his throne and his uh, regime under this uh, uh, very, very strong arm um, as he he goes forward. Uh, The first person Solomon even takes out is a guy named Joab, who was uh, King David's old general. Um, Probably should not have been there. Honestly, should have been taken out years before this. Um, Just let things leak in, got real passive, allowed the people of God to go down a path they shouldn't have. Um, then he takes out his uh, older brother. Then he takes out uh, the guy Shimei, who, was, who cursed David so much. And um, he, he showed a little bit of grace. Solomon showed a little bit of grace through this process, but eventually was like, okay, enough. You, 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 you keep disobeying, you keep following after these other things, you keep disobeying God. So I'm gonna set this up. So now, uh, after this is uh, clearly happening, we see that um, his after the mess is kind of cleaned up whenever he gets there, uh, we see he's clearly the king. There's no question about it. Solomon is king. Uh, He's firmly on his throne. And so uh, what what we've noticed, though, in the first couple of chapters, and especially chapter 2 into chapter 3, is that uh, Solomon was—God spoke to him. God loved him. God had a plan for his life. And if you remember Solomon— Solomon was the son of, of, of David's inappropriate relationship, not, not specifically that moment, but of David's wife that he took in, in the wrong way. God redeemed that, right? God redeemed that situation, that life, that, that moment, that story, and then Bathsheba ended up giving birth to this young man, Solomon. So already Solomon is born from a woman that it, it, was, it was a, a stain on his father's life and legacy. Yet God says, I'm, I'm the one who cleans up the stains. I'm the one who will take your stain and wash it white as snow, and I'll make something great out of it. So Solomon, that's who this person is. And as we walk through these next couple of chapters, what we realize is uh, these, the nation of Israel under Saul and then David and then Solomon is 120 years. Each of these guys served 40 years, 40 years, 40 years. And in this span of time, um, we're, we're 120 years of the nation being, being one. And these three great leaders, each of them having their issues. Saul had his most issues. David had a few blemishes in his, in his life and his legacy. Uh, Solomon ends up, uh, he finds favor with the Lord here in chapter 3. And what begins to take place is God comes to Solomon And he says, I'm I'm thankful for you. I love you. Solomon is in love with the Lord. It says in chapter three um, that he loves the Lord. I mean, Solomon, he loves. I love that phrase itself. Uh, Verse number three, Solomon loved the Lord walking in the statutes of David, his father. Only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. He Solomon loved the Lord. If it could be said of me at the end of my life, my, one of the things I pray, any time before I get up and speak about the scripture, text of God, a sermon, whatever, one of the things I pray is that uh, I, I pray, and, and I, I, I pray with my head. I'm like, Lord, any, any place in my mind I've failed you, forgive me, any, and, and fill my mind with only your words. I, I think about my lips. I say, God, this is a moment I want you to speak. It doesn't need to be of me. It needs to be of you. And then I go to my heart. So I'm, I'm going down the process, right? And in my heart, not, not like, not, I'm not doing one of these numbers right here, uh, but I, I'm thinking about now my heart. And here's what I say every time before I get up and share God's word. Lord, let my heart overflow with love for you. If I, listen, I've, I know I've learned this much. People don't remember what you preach. They just don't. I, I spend hours and hours and hours and hours preparing sermons. And it's, I get this, Good sermon. And then guess what? I got to do it again. And again, and again. And ain't nobody remembering, and I say nobody. My wife doesn't remember, right? She'll she'll complain to me and <laughs> Leslie got chuckled you up, right? Because if you know it's true. Because here's what happens. My wife will say something to me and she's like, "Hey, do you remember the paint color we painted 5 years ago on the girl's feature wall? Remember it was that teal blah 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 blah?" And I'm like, "No, I don't. I don't remember that." And she says, "How do you not remember that?" And I'll say, what did I preach three days ago? And she's like, listen, it's not about our memories right now, (laughs) right? And she's like, it's okay that you don't remember the paint color from six years ago with this. And she remembers it, though. I mean, I'm telling you, she could tell you the color code for it. But I've learned in my life that a sermon—now, again, I believe the Word of God changes lives. And I believe, I hope and pray that I saturate the messages that I teach with the Word of God. That's my prayer. And, but I've learned this much. Um, people, people can see if you love the Lord or not. That's what they can see, and they remember that. They remember this person loved the Lord. Solomon is known as a man who loved the Lord. I hope at the end of my life, if, if you don't remember a single sermon, if you don't remember anything else, you remember that I love the Lord. Like, he's, he's so good. Like, I can't explain how good he is. I can try, and I will, and I've got plenty of words to try, But just know, I love the Lord. Like, He is so, He's been so good to me. He's been so gracious and kind. I almost feel guilty because of how much He's blessed me. And I'm just like, Lord, how can I return this back to you? Like, you've been so, so good. Solomon was known as a man who loved the Lord. And what we see in chapter three is because of that love for the Lord, God then says, What do you want? I'll give you what your heart desires. And so, what does Solomon do? he says, I want wisdom. And it makes God happy. God's like, you could have asked for riches, you could have asked for anything in the world, and you asked for wisdom as a great leader. And so God says, I'm going to give you wisdom. And then we see a story of how Solomon expresses that wisdom. Down at the end of chapter 3, um, these two women came and they, they had these babies, right? And one of the babies had died and then one of the women said that the baby that was alive was really the right baby and all these, these scenes. You, you may have heard these tales and these fables. Uh, it came from the Bible, is where it came from, where the, these two women come, there's one baby, one baby had died, the other baby was alive and the two women knew which baby it was but they were fighting and arguing. And so they, they both said, that's my baby. The one that's alive is my baby. So Solomon brings them together and he says, here's what we'll do. Cut the baby in half. Both of you take half the baby. And you're, you're like, that's not in, it's in there. It's really in there. And so what happens? The woman who, who was truly the mother of that child said, well, no, don't do that. If, if the baby, Just give the baby to her if that's the case. Like, I don't, I don't want the baby to die. And the other lady's like, divide them up. Well, of course... Solomon at that moment says, the wisdom in me says that this baby truly belongs to the woman who didn't want the baby to die. And so because of that, wisdom began to grow in Solomon. And we see him now becoming almost a judge, right? So people are coming to him with questions and concerns. And as we watch over the next few chapters, people are going to him and asking him wisdom. They're coming from all over. Now, Solomon begins with the wisdom of the Lord. And that's great. Wisdom in the hands of God is powerful and effective and awesome. However, when Solomon turned away from the Lord, and we're going to skip down now so that we can kind of get through this today. But Solomon began to turn away from the Lord um, in chapter 11. Now, I know that there's, there's a lot that's happening in here, and you should go and check it out. Um, Solomon, through these chapters up till chapter 11, was uh, tasked with building the temple, right? He was, t- he was tasked with building the temple. And so, um, th- but there's something that we see here take place in these two, these two moments. So Solomon starts building the temple of God, and as he's doing that, uh, we get to chapter 11, and he begins to turn away from the Lord. And as he turns away from the Lord... The wisdom goes away from this heavenly wisdom into this earthly wisdom. And what he begins to do is say, I know how to best have great allies. I'll marry these women of these pagan kings. So these pagan kings would have daughters, and Solomon would just say, I'm going to take one of them as my wife. Now, earthly wisdom says you make them family, and they ain't going to fight with you. Now, we know... Families fight. Let me tell you, families fight, okay? It doesn't matter. You marry into a family doesn't mean you're guaranteed peace, okay? More than likely, it means you're guaranteed, especially if it's a different culture and it's a different belief system, you're marrying into some problems, right? We all see that. We all understand that today. Solomon thought, earthly wisdom says, if I bring them really close, keep your enemies closer than your friends, right? Solomon does this and begins to uh, effectively change the way Solomon lives. And Solomon goes from godly wisdom into earthly wisdom. And worldly wisdom takes a bad turn. If you are wise in the world's eyes, it typically will turn out poorly for you. Because Solomon, uh, who is this great man, who is this wise man who was doing all this stuff, he was the one who built the temple. I want you to think about this. He built the temple of God, the place that God would be worshipped, the place that God would be adored, the place that people would come. I started thinking about the place. Now, I, I am never the person that says that the building of the church matters. The actual physical brick and mortar is not the church, right? We, the people of God, are the church. If there was no building here at, 11, at, at 245 White Road, right? That's the 245 White Road. If there was no building here, New Providence would still exist as a church because the people of God are what makes up the church. But I will tell you something. There is something in, in the older I'm getting, now that I'm in the older bracket, the older I'm getting, the more I'm realizing there's something special about a church. In, in, this, in this spot right here, right here, I mean, I I could tell you literally this spot right here. I married my wife. In this spot right here, I was ordained in the gospel ministry. In this spot right here, I laid my father to rest. In this same spot. Like, you want to talk about an effect in my life? I mean, in this spot right here, I learned how to preach. In this spot right here, I learned how to lead. I mean, literally, this, this four foot by four foot block, all that happened in my life. Now, I'm not a person that thinks that the building really matters, but I'm telling you something, there's something special about it. There's something special about it. We, I went back and looked. This is how I'm, maybe I'm older in my mind than I think I am, because I went back and looked at my wedding pictures the other day. And as I was looking at my wedding pictures, we were standing right here, this, making these vows before the Lord and before our friends that had gathered. This is a special spot. I, I kind of I like this spot, right? And then I kind of hate this spot because I had to say goodbye to my father at this spot. I, I, I had to, but I also was ordained by God in the ministry, and this church laid their hands on me and, and affirmed me in, in my calling in the Lord in this same spot. Like, this is a powerful spot. The, so Solomon was the one in charge of, of building that spot for people's lives. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. We, we were talking about how if, you know what would happen if New Providence got to be a thousand people. Oh, well, we, you know, some people say, well, you just tear the building down. I'm like, I ain't tearing the building down. And, and now I'm thinking, like, as a young guy, I'd have been like, yeah, bulldoze it. We're going to build a big stadium. You know, it's going to be great. Now I'm like, I don't want this spot to go away. <laughs> That's weird of me, maybe. But I thought, this, this, it's, it's too important. It's too valuable. This is, my whole life is wrapped up in this spot. Everything about my life right now. My marriage, my family, my calling, my, the, the deep grief that God brought me through. It's all wrapped up right here. Solomon was the one in charge of making that spot so that people could experience God himself. That's a big deal. And now what happens is we see something terrible happens. The one who built the temple, because of the way he married foreign, foreign women that were of other pagan religions... Because of that, he also built shrines towards the end of his life to those foreign gods. Solomon began to think there's enough good in each religion to pull this and this and this from. Now, here's the the problem with that. It gets to where it's not necessarily black and white anymore, because he says, okay, this religion does this thing, but there's one good moral thing in it. Now, we should say, God says, wipe it all out. The good moral thing also exists in in God. We don't have to look to this other thing to see good moral things. All you need is the Lord. That's it. So Solomon, don't don't go creeping in. But what happened is, because he married these women that began to influence his life, he began to um, appreciate little moments of pagan religion. So now the man who was responsible for building the temple for building the place that can change lives, building the place that people can experience God. That man is now fallen because he's allowed these other little things to creep in. Like, how crazy is it? That, to me, that breaks my heart, thinking, how could Solomon let it get this far? Well, Solomon dies uh, within this. He died, and his legacy uh, is, is tarnished now. Because of that little thing that he just allowed to come in. Um, at his death, the nation of Israel would never be the same again. So here's the, the the big picture problem. Solomon dies, and the nation of Israel divides. You know what happens when you allow foreign things to come into your Christian walk? You will be divided. And then when you're divided, you're at war with yourself. There's a problem that's coming. There's issues that come. All because he, he, he had this earthly wisdom and thought, I will, I will make all my enemies my friends. And by doing so, I'm going to bring them into my home. This, I mean, this is Israel repeating history again, right? When they went into the Holy Land and God said, wipe away all of the foreign gods. Get them out of your house. Remember Joshua? Get the foreign gods out of your house. And what did they do? They, got them, they just moved them. They moved him into a closet. Oh, well, we won't need this again. Put it in the closet. God said, "I told you to take it out to the landfill and burn it." And they said, "Well, we just don't need it. We'll just put it in the in the garage for now." Right? We'll, we we won't use it anymore. But we'll just we'll keep it around. Next thing you know, that stuff just starts creeping right back in. You can almost imagine the guy going out and cleaning the garage, seeing this little god. Oh, this this you know if I dust this thing off, kind of shine it up a little bit, it would look pretty good back on the mantle. Slowly creeps back in. That's the way Solomon's life ended up. This man who built the temple um, also built these shrines to these false gods. He dies, his legacy is tarnished. Solomon had become more of a slave driver than he was a shepherd. Uh, he was a man of peace, which is great. You know, we talked about last week. David was this man of, of war, and and Solomon is this man of peace, and God didn't want his temple built by a man of war. He wanted the temple built by a man of peace because God's God's a God of peace. So Solomon is the one who got to build that temple because he was a man of peace. But he also, um, in order to get the temple built, he was very strict. He raised taxes, they became very high. Now we're going to get political. Here's what happened truly with the nation of Israel you know what divided them? Taxes. That's what divided them. They said taxes are too high. So what did they do? They said to Rehoboam, who was Solomon's son. Now Solomon, the wisest man on earth, uh, wise beyond his years. Uh, Chapter 12, we find that his son, Rehoboam, uh, is a fool, a foolish man. So from the wisest man in the world to a fool as your leader. Because what happens is Rehoboam, he doesn't go and listen to the same counselors that Solomon had. Solomon had a a lot of counselors. We go read Proverbs. You know, Solomon wrote the Proverbs. Go read Proverbs. It tells us multiple times, listen to wise counsel. Have counselors. with, With great counsel, plans will succeed. With a lack of all that, plans fail. Like, have wise people around you that speak into your life. So, why would Rehoboam, Solomon's son, why wouldn't he just go to dad's counsel and say, hey, dad's counsel, you all are wise. I want to learn from you. Instead, Rehoboam says, I don't need your old ways. I'm going to ask all my drinking buddies. That's what happens. He goes and asks these guys he was partying with, and they say, well, here's what you need to do. If you ever hear somebody say, well, here's what you need to do, probably don't even listen to them, right? Those are not people that have obviously taken some wise counsel. Well, here's what you need to do. That's a, you can almost hear it as they're out drinking one night, and they'll be like, well, Rehoboam, I'll tell you, here's what you need to do. You need to come in, and you need to say, listen, I'm going to take you out. That's what we need to do. It's like, we're not playing a video game here, guys. We're talking about life. We're talking about real things. Rehoboam uh, is the first king of the nation of Judah. So here's whenever the, te- the, the nation splits. So the nation gets divided. 10 of the tribes, of the 12 tribes of the nation of God, 10 of them go north. They, they're, they're in that region. And they say, we want taxes lowered. This is not good. This is not okay. Two tribes, the two tribes of Judah, are still left in the south. Now the nation is divided. And so the, the Rehoboam becomes the first king of the nation of Judah. Now he's still of the line of David, right? Because his dad is Solomon, who's the son of David, right? So Rehoboam is this man who's the first king of Judah. And um, I think it's pretty interesting how the northern tribes, um, they all had evil king after evil king after evil king. Uh, here's something that, to note. Each of these kingdoms, and this is where we're gonna get a little bit technical here. Each of these kingdoms had 19 kings. Each one of them had 19 kings. They, they both had the same number of kings. Some of them had, had uh, a little bit longer than the other, right? But, and so it wasn't like equally each year they got a new king. It was some kings lasted a little longer in certain kingdoms, but each of them had 19 kings. And listen, the kings of the northern kingdom came from seven different families or seven different dynasties, okay? So those kings would come in, and it, you didn't have to be of the same family line. Came from seven different dynasties. The kings of the southern kingdom all came from the line of David. I think that's pretty cool. I just see that as as pretty awesome. Now, we we see that, we look at that, we're like, oh, what does that mean scripturally? What does that mean? There was a lot of political things with that, too. There was only two tribes in that southern kingdom. There were ten in the northern kingdom. Now, what we know is the northern kingdom had all bad kings, right? We talked about that a minute ago. All bad, evil kings in the northern kingdom. And so we see all kinds of apostasy, all kinds of issues, all kinds of problems in the northern kingdom. The southern kingdom did have a few glimpses, as short as they may have been, of some good kings. And next week, as we we list this whole thing out and chart it out, you'll see uh, which kings were good through that and what happened, certain revivals that came out. These next couple of books of the Bible, like I said, they all sort of overlap and so the things going on in Kings, we'll also see over in Chronicles, and we'll see how they overlap uh, in the next few weeks as we put it all together. We're kind of putting pieces of a puzzle together. But as we look at this, um, he, uh, Rehoboam, this first king of Judah, this foolish guy, he, he was a poor leader, but ultimately the, the thing I learned about Rehoboam is it, it wasn't just that he was a poor leader, he was a poor listener. He just listened to the wrong thing. And that's, that's what, you know, Solomon towards the end of his life became earthly wise, wise in the the earthly standard. And what happened is that's what Rehoboam learned. If you go and read the Proverbs, now again, as Solomon is king, the Proverbs are being written, right? If you go and read Proverbs, you will see so many times Solomon writing to his son, my dear son, my son, be wise my son, treat your mother with respect. My son, don't be foolish. My son, here's how you need to be in business practices. My son, don't be a fool. Don't be a fool. I think that Solomon, as he's writing Proverbs, thought about Rehoboam. I think he thought, my son is being foolish. So my words to him are going to be, don't be a fool. My dad used to write me letters all the time. He would write me cards. I've got stacks and stacks of cards most of them were very encouraging, right? Most of them were, son, you're doing a great job, great young man of God. You know, you're a great father, whatever. There was a few that I've kept that were not quite as encouraging. They were, don't be an idiot. This is not a wise thing you're doing, right? There was a few of those. And so as I read through those, I'm almost thinking, I hope he didn't write that to anybody else, right? And, And like, I hope he didn't share that with the world. My son is a complete fool this week. Listen to what dumb thing he did. That's what Solomon did with Proverbs. He's like, my son, you are a fool. Stop acting this way. Here's what wisdom says. But Rehoboam never listened, didn't listen to the right counsel. So we need to all be good listeners as we work through our experience in our life. As we um, look through these different kingdoms, and as Rehoboam is this first king of Judah, uh, there's also a first king of, um, of, the, of the northern kingdom, Israel, and that's Jeroboam. Um, the two kingdoms, just so you're aware uh, geographically, the northern kingdom was set up in Samaria. That's where it's, its headquarters basically were. It moved around a little bit, but Samaria was kind of the headquarters. In the southern kingdom, it was Jerusalem, which is Where we see uh, the great kingdom beginning and and the great holy city uh, as we go through the Old Testament into the New Testament, where we see the walls getting rebuilt, right? From after these days, there's another one coming, Nehemiah uh, ends up rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem because of the walls of Jerusalem falling due to poor leadership in the southern kingdom and how all this plays out. Um, but we've got this guy, Rehoboam, he ends up, he loses the northern tribes. Uh, they go up and create their own kingdom. And the thing Rehoboam did, uh, God, God told him, do not, under any circumstance, go and try to force those, those tribes to come and join you again. Don't do it. And Rehoboam, now listen, Rehoboam is not a good listener, right? So how did God keep Rehoboam from doing that? it's simple. Their little rival to the south named Egypt was causing some stir and kept Rehoboam distracted enough where he didn't go and try to take over those 10 tribes again. Because Rehoboam, his, all his drinking buddies said, we're just going to buy force. We're going to bring them back, Rehoboam, and you're going to be able to lead everybody. That's what we're going to want to do. And so Rehoboam, he, he would always listen to bad counsel. So how did God keep that from happening? Well, he allowed a distraction by the enemy kind of always being around. Now, Egypt didn't come and take over. Egypt didn't come and like... But they were just stirred up enough to where Rehoboam's attention was, was cast off. Sometimes when the Lord wants us to do something and we're too, we're too stubborn or uh, refuse to listen to Him, God will allow an enemy to keep us distracted so we don't fall into a trap, so that we aren't that disobedient. Like, God was even protecting Rehoboam by saying, I, I've, I've told you to do this and I'm going to make sure you stay obedient. I'm going I'm to distract you over here so that you don't end up over here. That's what he does to Rehoboam. Now, in the, on the other side of that, there's a guy named Jeroboam. He's the first uh, king of the northern kingdom of Israel. Uh, in fact, he founded it. This guy was worldly as they come. Worldly God, just always about the world, um, to start his reign, even um, we see in uh, uh, the first um, in chapter twelve we 're still in chapter twelve i 've got to keep moving. Uh, we see in chapter twelve Jeroboam whenever he starts uh, his kingdom, his reign, he, he sets up two golden calves, he sets up altars in two places now. This is, uh, we're still in chapter 12 because I'm trying my best to, to run out of time before I get to 13. That's what I'm trying to do. Um, as, we, as, he, as he sets up these two altars, one of them in the, in the city of Dan, in the, where the tribe of Dan is, and one of them in Bethel, which is called Bethel, meaning the house of God. So Jeroboam sets up these two altars, and he, he, he puts these golden, stat, golden calves out there. Like He's trying his best. He's a worldly guy. What he's trying to do is suppress all of the spiritual uh, influence of the southern tribes. So what Jeroboam is doing is saying, I don't want any of that, that religion, that spiritual life of the southern tribes, the tribes uh, that are in Judah, I don't want them to influence us. So I'm going to set up these altars and, and try to stop that from happening. Now we see what happens next. Um, We find, by the way, uh, whenever he does it, he instituted a new priesthood. He instituted a whole new religious calendar to the northern tribes. It was all against the Lord. So God's judgment just kills him. He just, he dies. His, his reign is over because of the way that happens. Now, before that happens, we see a few things. Um, I just skipped right over 13 and Ms. Morris just saw it. She was like, you skipped that. <laughs> yes, I did. The, um, as, as we see, because uh, you see in chapter 22, that there's a, um, uh, we're not going to chapter 22 yet, but in chapter 22, it says, uh, it talks about another king of, Isra- of Israel, the Northern Kingdom. And it helps me see something. Every king in the northern kingdom, were, they were compared to and measured by the first king, uh, Jeroboam. That's what they were. Every king of the southern kingdom was measured to King David. Now, there's, a, there's a difference there, right? D- king David, a man after God's own heart, every king of Judah was measured back to him. Every one of them. Now, why weren't they measured to Saul? Well, because Saul wasn't the one who God anointed king in the first place, right? The people called Saul. So every king in the southern kingdom was measured to King David. Every king in the northern kingdom was measured to Jeroboam. And it says in chapter 22, verse number 52, it says, in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Neat, who made Israel to sin. He was the cause of the sin of the people of Israel. Because he said, as he led, we're going to put these false gods up here and we're going to follow them. Now, he wasn't calling them false gods right? He was saying, this is what we're going to do to keep away the worship of Jehovah from, in, from infiltrating us too much. So we see that happen after, um, after that. Now, I will say in chapter 13, uh, I will mention it. Chapter 13 is a weird story. It doesn't make a lot of sense why it's in here. Um, and I, I think I, I'm following, as Miss Jeannie told me last week, she said, I want to hear your thoughts on it. Um, I don't have all night, all day to do my thoughts on it, but I will say there's something that happens. A man of God shows up from Judah, goes to an altar, the one at Bethel, curses this altar, says, this is not of God, this is not. God's, God's got some judgment here. Um, and Jeroboam, Jeroboam's at the altar at the time. Now, the fact, that, the fact that, that a man of God would go, see the king, and say in front of the king out loud, this is not of God, this is not okay, and has a prophecy that says people are going to die that show up here. This is not a good thing. Jeroboam freaks out and starts to yell to to arrest the guy, sticks his hand out, says, seize him. When he does, his hand disintegrates, just just like it's dust now. And as that happens, Jeroboam freaks out. I don't have a hand anymore. So he looks at the man of God and says, hey, just entreat me for just a moment. Can you just pray for my hand to be healed? So the man of God's like, okay, praise the hands healed, restored. So now Jeroboam says, I want you to come back with me to my house. I want to, I want to reward you for this great deed you've done. Now, Jeroboam hated what the man said. He was like, you just cursed my altar. This is not okay. And so the man said to Jeroboam, he says, I'm not going back to your house because the Lord clearly told me, don't, don't go back. Anywhere with them and eat and drink with them. Don't do it. Because again, we look back through the history of Israel. When God says, I want you to be holy, He doesn't say, I want you to be as earthly as you can and still find that line of holiness. That's not what He says. He says, I want you to be holy, completely separated from the world so that you are mine and mine alone. That's what has happened over and over and over and over again. Whenever they entered the promised land. And that's how God has told his people to act and respond. And now he tells this man the same thing. This man of God says, I was told not to go back by the Lord, so I'm not going to. So then the, the, the scene kind of breaks. And these two, these two other guys heard what happened or saw what happened. It's kind of unclear. They experienced what happened at the altar. And then after they experienced it, um, it says they went back and told their dad, um, who was an old prophet, and um, they told their dad, hey, here's what happened at the altar at Bethel. This guy showed up. This prophet showed up, prophesied. The king was there. This happened. The king said, hey, come back. The, the, the young guy said, no, I'm not doing it. God told me to do this. So the old prophet says, which way did he go? And they said, well, he went that way. So the old prophet gets up and goes that way. Finds the guy sitting under a tree. And he says, hey, I'm, I'm a prophet like you. Come back to my house. The guy says, I, I'm not supposed to go back to your house. God told me. Now, here's the thing. That old prophet had heard that that's what the guy said in the first place. Right? So why is this old prophet tempting him now? Why, okay, now I'm, I'm going to go one step back even further. Why did the old prophet not get called by God to go and prophesy over the altar? He lived in Bethel. That's where the old prophet lived. So there's already some issues with the old prophet. Right? There's already some problems with this guy who wasn't walking and keeping in step with the Lord because he, he lives in the same city. He could just go over next door and be like, okay, Lord, I'm living here. You've called me to my Jerusalem, right? You've called me to my place. And God could have told this man, hey, go and curse this. This isn't mine. I didn't, I didn't create this. This is not of me. Instead, he calls this guy to come up from Judah and come all the way up. So here's what the young guy says. He says to the old man, no, I'm not, I'm not supposed to go back with you. God told me clearly not to do this. The prophet says, well, the Lord told me, plans have changed, you can come here. The Lord told me that I'm supposed to bring you here. So the young guy just does it. He's tempted and he follows after this. I heard, um, I was sharing on my podcast this morning, I heard um, a story of Charles Spurgeon one time who was getting up to preaching at this crusade. And this young guy, this young preacher came up and said, Mr. Spurgeon, the Lord has told me that I'm supposed to preach for you tonight. And Mr. Spurgeon looked at him and says, well, when the Lord tells me, I'll let you know. <laughs> like, that's not, the Lord, see, God will not tell me what you're supposed to do. That's one of the reasons I have, sometimes I'm, I come across a little bit odd whenever I lead because I'm asking, what's the Lord telling you to do? And most of the time the response is, well, what do you need me to do? That's not what I said. The Lord doesn't tell me where you need to serve. Now I have spots available and we can come together and decide if that's what the Lord is doing. But ultimately, the Lord speaks to you individually. And when he speaks to you, don't listen to anybody else. If God says to you, I want you to pastor new providence, that's what he said to me. And I, I listen, I ran from it. I was like, uh, I ain't doing it. Not doing it, Lord. I've told you this a year ago. He told me, he, he sparked an interest in my heart a year ago in May that I was supposed to pastor, to be a senior pastor. And I said, okay, Lord, where? And he he mentioned New Providence. I was like, (laughs) okay, nice try. And then I got a call from New Providence and I was like, okay, nice try, not gonna happen. And as I began to listen, the Lord told me, and here's the deal, after the Lord confirmed it in my heart, it didn't matter what any of us thought. It doesn't. Everybody could have been mad about it. I wasn't super happy about it when I found out. And now the Lord has has changed and, and adapted my heart. And when he said, this is your calling... It didn't matter what everybody else said. I had a mentor tell me, don't you dare do it. It's a terrible thing to follow after your dad. Everybody's going to think that you're your dad's son. I was like, well, Solomon just killed a bunch of people. So maybe I could just come in and just wipe the floor. I'm just kidding. Um, but as we when the Lord, I've learned from that story in that moment, when the Lord tells you something, don't you don't have to listen to anybody else through that process. Now, the counselors are great. We need good counsel in our life. But when the Lord tells you something, don't just believe what somebody else says just because they're an old prophet. Just because they're somebody that has experienced the Lord uh, before. Because I'll I'll tell you this much, I I know a lot of people that experienced the Lord at one point in their life and have since not experienced Him very fresh anymore. And it's a sad thing. Now, the story ends in a crazy way. I don't want to jump into it. I've got to move on. Anyway, so then we see uh, King Ahab, King Ahab of Israel. At the same time, Ahab is leading in Israel. Um, a King Jehoshaphat is leading in Judah. Now, Ahab, uh, just to give you a quick overview of his life, Ahab is evil. I mean evil. This guy is the worst of the worst. He's leading in Israel. Now, the reason he's leading in Israel is because Israel, the northern kingdom, They have fallen so far away from the glory of God that they're bringing in this king that is evil, evil, evil. He does a lot of bad things. The worst thing that he has in his going for him is he marries this woman named Jezebel. Now, if you know much about Jezebel, you will know that there's not many children named after her today. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Nobody's like, I'm gonna look for a good name for my daughter. Nobody's like, ooh, Jezebel, that's a good biblical name. You know, there may be a few, maybe out there, but um, they didn't read much about her life. Woman is not okay. She's all caught up in the, in the, the worship of Baal. Um, now, as, as you know, if you hear these stories and these names, you also know there's a guy that shows up named Elijah. Elijah shows up. Uh, God calls... See, he goes, here's what happens. Dark nights, a lot of frustration, a lot of disobedience, God will still prove he's God. Just because... Ahab is evil doesn't mean God's not powerful and awesome. Just because Ahab makes bad decisions, kills the wrong people, does the wrong things, marries the wrong person, has all these issues, just because that's going on doesn't mean God's still not all-powerful and all-knowing. Because in those dark, dark moments, he raises up a prophet, and that prophet's name is Elijah. And Elijah goes and, and attacks all the things that, that Jezebel stood for. That woman was, was devoted to that cult of Baal, um, and Elijah showed up to, it, to uh, take out this moment. Now, at the same time that's going on, Jehoshaphat is in the southern kingdom. Jehoshaphat is a good guy. The problem is, Jehoshaphat was always a little bit interested in Ahab and Jezebel. He was like, I, I want to I figure them out. I'm, I'm intrigued by them. They're powerful. They, they were like power couple. I mean, if, we, if they had television and the internet back then, this they, they were the, the the trending topics, Ahab and Jezebel. They had a lot happening. Jehoshaphat was always interested in them, always interested in what they had going on, uh, what was happening in their life. Now, Jehoshaphat loved the Lord. He loved God, but he was fascinated by Ahab and Jezebel. He, was, um, he kept on... Uh, he kept on drawing closer to those two in the northern kingdom. And you say, well, how did he draw closer? Well, his son, he had his son marry Ahab and Jezebel's daughter. Like, that's how close. Again, we, now, you look back at Solomon. He says, here's how I'm going to make great relationships. I'm going to marry all these foreign women. And then you had, that didn't work out, right? You marry into a family, doesn't mean it's guaranteed to be awesome. They don't, not everybody's going to accept you. Uh, same thing in Jehoshaphat, he takes his son and he sends him off to marry, uh, Jezebel's daughter, Ahab and Jezebel's daughter and thinking, oh, this is, this is great. We're going to be super couples, right? We're going to be super kingdoms. Here's what we're going to be. Well, there's some issues that come in with that and we don't have to read very far to know that's not a good thing for the Southern kingdom because what begins to happen is there's this leaky thing that happens. Whenever we allow sin to leak in, here's what I've learned about water. A couple of weeks ago, in our, in our other building, we, you know, we've torn up half the building, right? We've, we've torn up the floors, we've torn out walls, we're remodeling, making a great kid's space. It's going to be incredible. A couple of weeks ago, I get a call. I'm on my way into the office. Uh, Miss Deb had called me. She said, hey, uh, so we've got some water in the building. I was like, okay. Like, how many bottles? And she's like, no, no, there's water in the floors. I was like, oh, what's well, leaking? She said, I don't know. It's coming from the, it's coming from the heavens. <laughs> I was like, okay, what's well, happening? We'll go down there, and we, we get in, and we realize, you know what water does? A little leak will cause havoc in, in a building. Havoc, especially if you don't realize it. We never realized it until we tore everything up. When we tear everything up, it's like, oh, look at all these problems. We get people out here, they fixed it, it's going to be great now, and it's awesome. But what I learned was a small little leak will, will wreak havoc in your home. If I, if I can say that again, a small little leak will wreak havoc in your home. I'll tell you what else, a small leak will wreak havoc in your nation. You let the wrong person in the wrong place at the wrong time, and they do the wrong things, that little leak will wreak havoc among your people. That's what happened within this story when Jehoshaphat's son marries Jezebel's daughter. Um, and, and again, this is part of the issue of like, Jehoshaphat was interested enough to get as close to the world and still have holiness in his life. right? I feel like the church today, we get as close to the earthly world as we can and still come together on Sunday and try to make it work. You know, we still come together and say, we want to worship our great God. And then we go out on Monday, and then our language increases, and our, our, our sin increases. And it's, a, well, I've got to do this in order to, to make it in my job. I've got to be able to, to do these, these things that don't necessarily honor the Lord, but it honors my boss. I'm telling you, you let those little things leak in, it's going to wreak havoc in your home. That's the way the Scripture teaches over and over again. So as we see these kings in the last few chapters of the book of 1 Kings, uh, as Jehoshaphat and Ahab are are going on, we notice um, that Elijah and Elisha are sprinkled in here as well. Um, Elijah, great prophet, uh, incredible. What happened whenever um, Jehoshaphat's son married Ahab and Jezebel, again, that leak, it was almost like if you can look at a map, here's how I, I pictured it when I was going through this study this week. If you look at a map of the northern kingdom, they were in the north, and the southern kingdom in the south. Whenever Jehoshaphat's son marries the, the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel, it's almost like you saw this leak dripping down into the southern kingdom. And what began to take place was those, that apostasy, that, that false worship, that, that rejection of who God is began to drip down into the southern kingdom. So, what does God do? He says, No, 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 that's not going to happen. So, he raises up Elijah. Elijah comes in and destroys the prophets of Baal and the prophets of the Asherah poles and all that 900 on the Mount Mount Carmel. You know that story, right? Well, Elijah is known. Here's what I didn't even realize until I went through this survey. Elijah has um, eight miracles that are connected to his name. Eight miracles. Then his predecessor, the one who came after him, Elisha, was I, Elisha had double the spirit of Elijah because Elisha is credited for 16 miracles. Because here's what God does. He multiplies. God's like, God's, God's gonna multiply things. He's a multiplication God. So he says, I'm gonna send Elijah to, to make this big giant statement of who God is. God says, I'm gonna prove once and for all I am the true living holy God stop messing with this other stuff. I've told you all to get it out of your homes. You didn't, so I'm going to send fire from heaven. Notice he didn't send, you know, marshmallows from heaven, right? He's sending holy, consuming fire that consumes everything through this man, this prophet Elijah. And Elijah even, he gets afraid of Jezebel, right? He gets afraid of all those things, and he's running, and he's scared after he sees this great victory. So Elijah's ministry he gets carried off and Elijah I mean think about it the Old Testament you got Moses who represents the law and Elijah who represents the prophets like this is a hero of the faith when did that hero of the faith show up in the darkest time God's in the brightest light that's how he works And then he sends, through Elijah, his ministry, Elisha. Elisha is accredited for double the amount of miracles, double the amount of things that are happening. Um, And again, it's all God saying, this is where we are. This is what I am doing. My men who are called by my name are going to do things in a dark place. And it's going to be amazing and awesome. While uh, all the apostasy and the vileness were going on in the northern kingdom, and now it's leaking into the southern kingdom, God comes in. And raises up the right moment for the right day. He raises up the right people and, uh, and, and puts a big stamp on the fact that he is God. Um, so as we, there, there's some more to this that, that kind of leak into to 2 Kings. But I want to I stop for there for today. Be sure and come back next week. We're going to have some, uh, some more visuals and things. So uh, note, I wanted to end on that, that, light, that good note today, right? Elijah and Elisha. We saw God showing up, doing great things in a dark time and space. Um, I want to say that through these um, Bible studies, there's a lot that I I really enjoy seeing that you sometimes don't see with a microscope, right? You don't see a lot of things if you're looking really, really closely at at things, Um, and then vice versa. You see things with a microscope you don't see with, you know, the big long perspective, so I hope that um, you're seeing things as I'm seeing them, and, and even more than I see. I hope that God's revealing more and more to you. One of the things I love about anytime time I hear um, or am I listening to sermons or Bible studies or teachings, uh, what I've noticed is there was a time when I was young and foolish uh, where I was— um, and this is one of those times, so I'll, I'll just share this little personal thing. One of the times my dad scolded me really bad, like really bad on the phone— he uh, I called him one night after, every every Sunday night we would we would talk on the phone every Sunday night to talk about all day Sunday. He would ask me what my preacher talked about, he would ask me what Bible study we were going through, he would ask me what our small group talked about. I mean, he wore me out making sure part of it looking back now, he was making sure I was paying attention, right? And he knew every Sunday night we had that standing call that we were going to talk about Sunday. And then I began to ask him, what did you preach about, man? You know, <laughs> you, t- you can't just ask me questions, I'm going to ask you questions. One of these one of the days he said um, he said what did your pastor talk about I said well dad he just missed it today and he said what do you mean he missed it and I said well he was preaching he preached this text and you know here were his here were his points but here's what I here's what I, I kind of did a little study on my own dad as I, as he was preaching I kept reading and I thought well he's missed this <laughs> this is right here this is right here and he said hey son don't be foolish so what do you mean he said the lord spoke to you today through your pastor And I said, how did that? I said, I didn't. I said, Dad, the stuff I gleaned wasn't even from the pastor. He said, no, that's the whole point, young man. It's from the Lord. It's all from the Lord. Your pastor did study, and you did learn his points and his perspective through the text. And then the Lord even illuminated more out of the scripture than he was sharing. He said, you should celebrate even bigger. Don't be that big of a fool. And I'll never forget that conversation, thinking, I thought I had it figured out. <laughs> here I was thinking, my pastor missed all this stuff in the scripture. But what happened is I realized that the Lord was revealing to me even more than what the pastor was saying. And so I hope and pray, that's my prayer in this. I don't want you to walk away from here saying, man, Anthony showed me all these things. I saw all this through our pastor's study. And I hope you do see things through my study time, my prep time. But ultimately, I want you to hear from the Lord. And if, if he's revealing something to you that I don't even say, that's, that's a bonus Man, that's a bonus. That's our cup overflowing. That's what the Lord is doing. He is our portion. I don't want any of us to be the portion right? I want him to be the portion. So I hope and pray as we go through this, especially in these next few weeks, as we kind of overlay, it's going to be a lot more teaching. I know this is kind of a teaching Bible study, but um, it's going to get real intense over the next few days as we jump into some history and some things going on. So I hope and pray that you are encouraged today. Let's pray as we we close out this morning. Thank you so much for being here as you always are. Faithful group. I I love our Wednesday morning Bible study time. Uh, my wife asked me last night, um, it was about 1 a.m. before I got to bed because I was going back over my notes. And she said, You need to get sleep. I said, I'm too excited to sleep. And she said, It's the Wednesday morning thing. I said, I know, I know. I'm, I'm so excited about it. <laughs> she was like, But it's Wednesday morning. I was like, Yeah, it is. It's the best time we have. She said, Do you like it better than Sundays? I said, I think so. And said, Don't tell Sunday, okay? <laughs> that, that's between us. That's between us. But um, anyway, no, this Sunday is going to be good too, I promise. But let's, uh, let's pray as we'll close out today. Heavenly Father, you are so good and so awesome. We are so thankful, Lord. Today, I am reminded again how thankful I am for your word. Uh, God, your word is so good. It's so, so good. I pray that as my heart is overflowing with love for you and your word, I pray that, um, that Lord, it's, it's seeking it, seeping into each of our lives. And Father, we aren't found as those who are disobedient and allowing the uh, apostasy and the false teachings to seep in. Rather, we are listening to you and your heart. Lord, let us hear from you. God, I love these Wednesday morning studies, and I just believe they're getting richer and richer as we go. And I'm thankful, Lord, that you are still speaking fresh to me. Lord, these things that I'm sharing are not from old Bible studies. They're from each week diving back into your Word. Thank you for your word being so good and so rich that I can glean something new every time I read it, every time I hear from the author. Let me share it with the enthusiasm that you've put in my life. God, I want to just uh, continue to pray for this great church and for where you have us as a congregation, as a people here in Loudoun County. Lord, as I said a minute ago, uh, we are not this building, but God, as we meet in this building, fill this building up, Lord. Fill this building up with your presence. Lord, I believe if your presence fills this place, people will be here. (laughs) I I have no doubt. When you are on display, people cannot get enough of who you are. So help us as an entire people, as an entire church, to lift you high so that people will be drawn to you. Let that be our testimony. Thank you for the book of 1 Kings. I pray that you would let this just rest and resonate in our hearts this week and then bring us back here next week as we jump into 2 Kings and all that you are doing through the Scripture to draw us closer to you. We give you praise in Jesus' holy, precious, awesome, incredible, saving name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you all so much for being here, and um, be sure you high-five Miss Deb on the way out as you gather some snacks.